Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, a couple weeks ago, we got a question about drinking Cabernet in summer. And we answered it brilliantly, gracefully, like we always do. Of course we did not. <laughs> but we have, an, we have another chance. You know, they came back and said, you didn't answer it the first time. Uh, I want to hear this. sort of it, yeah. We, <laughs> we, we get another chance because a listener has asked about wine and summer in general. Ah, we have a chance to redeem ourselves. Or to mess up the entire topic all at once. All right. So, so also today, we are, uh, we, listeners ask about carrying open bottles in a car. Mm, okay. Uh, about the difference between Sauvignon Blanc and Fumé Blanc. Yep. Uh, and about, and uh, coincidentally, I just saw a piece about this, and it was gibberish. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. And about tasting room tasting notes uh, that seem to make no sense. Speaking of gibberish. Speaking of gibberish. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of making no sense, also our horrible wine writing is perfectly paired with obscurity. Plus, we have some <laughs> stuff we love, and as usual, we will be making fun of wine snobs. Yes, we will. So, And a couple of reminders. Yet again, yet another week. Capital Public Radio has not booted us off their podcast. God bless them. They, uh, as we slowly pull the entire national public radio network yes, I've into the gates I can of hell. See, I can see the the walls crumbling like on Game of Thrones. <laughs> the fall of the yes. house of NPR. Um, we're also on Napa Broadcasting. A network comes out of Napa Valley College. Napa Valley College, f- number one community college in California. Until people start realizing. Until they the realized network. I teach there, and yeah. now it's all out the window. Yep, yep. And uh, don't forget, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Our handle is at Rick and Paul White. Okay, so uh, you go there, you ask us a question, and in fact, uh, somebody did. Marcella in Windsor did exactly that. Well, that's perfect. So, and she said, "I just moved uh, moved here from Phoenix, and I love how cool the weather has been." Yeah, I bet you, you can <laughs> move to Phoenix. Mars from Phoenix, and it's still cooler. <laughs> Actually, um, Mars is quite cold. <laughs> There was my joke. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. I meant I meant Mercury. Okay. <laughs> uh, 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 fine. Where Just were fine. we? I totally lost. Okay, uh, she, Marcella. She said, okay, uh, cool in cooler there in Windsor, which is just north of uh, uh, Santa, Santa Rosa. Rosa. Uh, she says, I can actually go outside in the afternoon. It's also great being in wine country, and I've noticed all the restaurants and wineries have signs like prepare for summer wine or something like that. Is a wine really every any different in the summer? So the answer is yes, no, maybe kind of. It really depends on you. So I thought this would be a good chance to sort of talk about wine in, in the summer. Yeah. 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 And and so it there are at least two major factors at play here, Rick. The first is, of course, as Marcella says, weather's different. So it's hotter, and that means a lot of times you are more likely to be drinking a wine and thinking, gosh, what would be refreshing to drink right now? I know. I know. Okay, Rick. What would be refreshing right now? Something cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. I got one. Yay. And maybe bubbly or et cetera. (laughs) The other thing is in summertime, people have a tendency to eat lighter foods. They eat salads. They eat fish more. Uh, So those are naturally things that also go with lighter wines. So does that mean you can't open a red wine? Absolutely not. You can open anything you want and drink it whenever you want. But as a sort of general tendencies, people probably drink a little more white, a little more rosé, and a little more bubbly 
in the summertime than in the wintertime, except on New Year's Eve when everybody drinks bubbly. That's true. Well, and as we did say when we were talking about that, the person that asked earlier about Cabernet was that yes. during the summer, whether you're a restaurant or a store or just a wine writer or whoever. you got to talk it, about something. Something new. So, so there's right. a tendency to go towards, uh, I'm telling you, I've written that story, eight whites for summer. There you, you go. You know, many times. And, yep. um, and, and what's kind of fun is that, as you mentioned, rosé now is everywhere. Um, right. It is, and it is. Uh, it's co- it's served cold. There's that, right. um, but it also seems to have a summery feel to it. You know, you smell it. You kind of smell you're, it. You feel like you're outside. supposed to drink it. You're not supposed to rub it on your body, right? That oh, I put. What I do is I use it as a sunscreen. <laughs> it, um, it works great. Does it? Yes. Yeah, that's good I to end know. up just the same color as the rosé. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you do. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe I got that wrong. <laughs> a little on your nose, a little on yeah. your ears, and you're good to go. Yeah, that's true. And, um, <laughs> But you know, there's a couple other things to think about with um, with with summer wine uh-huh. or wine in summer is that you know transporting it around, even just driving to a party or a picnic. Yes, or a picnic. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could cook that stuff. You can cook it, or at the very least, if it's bubbly, you can shake it up. So yep. yeah, um, a good icebox is a good friend. Yeah, you know, um, I uh, often just have a styrofoam cooler in the car, uh-huh. uh, full of. Yeah, we're going to uh, no, talk not, about not that full, later. Just uh, the cooler itself, <laughs> empty. Uh, you know, throw uh-huh, in just in case. Throw in the stray rutabaga. You know, there, you never know what you run across, right. but you know, that's right. <laughs> anything, yeah. anything might run over that sort of thing. <laughs> but if you think about where people go in the summer too, they go to the beach, right. they go to a picnic, they go to a barbecue, right. and a lot of times those are more kind of lighter, fresher style wines than going to a. You know, a, a a grand dinner by the fireside right, somewhere. Right, that's true. Actually, much much more so. casual. So, and the wine fits the occasion. A couple of things to think about, though. You know, um, one of the common uh, I know we do a lot of this is the cooking outside. You know, yep. in the in the party outside, yep. in the backyard, or the front yard, or something like that. Yeah. The uh, one ice suggestion is, your is friend. the ice bucket for all your wines. Yeah, ice You're, bucket is your friend. This one of the scariest things I've ever seen was at my parents. This was twenty years ago. Their parents. 50th wedding anniversary, we threw a party for them, and we'd hired a caterer, and the caterer had taken all the foils and all the wire cages off a whole line of about 10 bottles of sparkling wine, and they were sitting there on the counter in the sun, and it was like... My brother and I it's sat like there. It's like an anti aircraft battery. Well, it's an anti, or <laughs> it's a great betting scheme. You know, I'm, I'm betting number three goes <laughs> next. Go. So I got well, my yes, money on number five. Been, take a dollar. You know, I it think was that pretty funny. Worked. After yeah. three or four of them went off, I went over to him and you, said, You know, you guys need to do something Paul, about this. Paul, you've given me an idea for a party. <laughs> <laughs> we'll drink whichever <laughs> one blows right. next. I'm thinking if I win the right bets, I can. Uh, uh, yeah, what I'll do is I'll loosen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll cheat. Yeah. Moi. <laughs> no. All right. Well, but yes, reds, so, whites, and rosés all cooler than certainly outdoor temperature in the summertime. Yeah. So they all need to be cooled. Yeah, and that, that's really the the thing. It's, I mean, it's not such a big you you get, but it, going back to what Paul was saying right at the start of it, it, you can you just drink what you like too. Yes. And if you love that big hefty red in the summer, go for it. Just do remember that you, you know, even big red wines want to be a little on the cooler side. And so just don't let them them cook on you. Okay. Let them cook. Speaking of doing some cooking, uh, I think it's time for us (laughs) to take some questions. This is not a cooking show. No, we got a 
cook as uh, this <laughs> metaphorical there, Paul. You just watch. You watch the flames behind us as we answer these questions. <laughs> Those are not the cooking flames. Those are the flames of hell. No. Yeah, well, that's probably true. <laughs> All right. And by the way, if you do want to ask us a question and you can put up with the flames of hell, go to Facebook and Instagram or Twitter at Rick and Paul White. And also, we are on Apple Podcasts. Yes. First one comes from Sally in Folsom. Right next door. Yeah. And we had a study about this, but she asked something we yep. did not have in the study. Was, Good. Do screw caps affect the taste in any way? They're so much easier to open, she says. So I have a two-word answer for this. No and yes. She says, that, do screw caps words. affect the taste in any way? That was three words. No. No and <laughs> yes. Just... No. I inserted a comma there, but... I didn't okay. say the case. So, no, they do not affect the taste in any way. If anything, they may actually keep the wine just ever so slightly fresher and brighter than a cork because they allow almost zero oxygen into the wine. Yeah, there's there have been a handful of these studies, and yeah, um, more and, than a handful. Yes, been and they're many. very consistent. Yes, um, and you know, it, it also depends on the age of the wine. Uh, except that my favorite study about taste and aging is one that the the very uh, re respected, renowned Chateau Margaux has been on, uh -huh. ongoing. And at, at 10 years, they what they did is they put some wines, made the same same wine, put some with corks, some with corkscrews, I mean, uh, screw caps. And after 10 years, they said, too soon to tell. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And then they went back, and it was a couple years later, and they still said, we're not sure. Yeah. So yeah. the answer is probably not. But it also does depend on the quality of the screw cap. Well, but the other question she says is, or statement she makes is, they are so much easier to open. Absolutely true. Lordy, lordy, yes. yes. And if you teach the way I do and Rick does, opening 20 bottles of wine, screw caps are your friend. Oh, I thought you, when you meant if you teach the way we do badly was the answer. Well, the yeah. solution is open lots yes. of bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where your screw cap right. comes in. Next one comes from Thomas in Oakland. And he said, I never taste the flavors that are on the tasting notes in a tasting room. Is that them or me? Them. It is definitely. He says, does it mean I should buy a different wine? See, there's the question, Thomas. Yep. Actually, does it mean should I buy a different wine since that wine probably isn't aimed at me? That Rick, is right there, the encapsulation of the of the entire what Cornell doing study. Yes. And Thomas, well I think done, you Thomas. should I think you should send that note to every one of these wineries and say, Here's my experience and this is why I'm not buying wine yes. from you. Yes, and what Paul was referring to, there was a great study in Cornell where they did uh, a bunch of wineries, and they took them on uh, compatible Saturdays, and um, big wineries, small wineries, yep. uh, expensive, inexpensive, and they did and them in New York. some of the it, tasting sheets had long descriptions, and others did not. Uh, the no, they had some or none. And, and, and it was, and they they did it in both in New York and in California. And, and it turns out the more descriptors you use, the less wine you sell. Yep. And their their fundamental reaction was people basically thought that the wine if I don't get all these flavors the wine must not be for me I'm not getting them so it must be for somebody else yeah yep. and it's it's you know it, it, and plus of course, of course the they could just talk about white flowers and stone roses that would could. solve all the problems well, and that's one of the many problems with those tasting notes is they're never really written to sell wine they're you know or so, explain so, wine or explain the wine no yeah. they're just written because somebody has to crank out fifty words you know you and I've had this discussion before somebody taught a lot of tasting room service, and, and you and I have been involved in both of that. One of the things I always said was just don't tell them what the wine tastes like. Just right. tell them some lovely, pretty story about the wine yeah. and listen to them. Yep. Yeah. Ask them to tell you what you, they think. Yeah. The Speaking of, do, do we have any examples of bad winery? Why? What a coincidence. What a segue. Yeah. Because we have some... We've been doing this show for five years now, and we finally got a segue. We have a segue, because we're coming up <laughs> with some really horrible wine writing. Yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, let's just show how badly they can do it. <laughs> okay. So noted for a commitment to responsible and sustainable vineyard management, the winery name removed so we don't get sued, has a range of organic and biodynamic offerings. Check this one out. Yeah. This Pinot blend includes three clonal varieties, including Pomard, Vedensville, and Dijon clones. Thank God. It was aged for months. Months, I tell you. Doesn't say <laughs> how many months, but months. In both French and Hungarian barrels, 20% new. Hungarian or French? I don't know. Doesn't say. And what was the rest? Rich and savory with pronounced ripe notes. <laughs> This wine is a is beautifully aromatic, followed by fruity and earthy notes that coat the palate. It's a perfect wine for Taiwanese three cup mushroom. Okay, well, so who, who Rick, isn't looking for that? When was the last time you had Taiwanese three cup mushroom? Oh. I don't know, four or five times this week. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, the pause there was I, really I, beautiful. I, I go home and I say, hey, any Taiwanese three-cup mushroom left? <laughs> yeah, let's just pick as obscure a possible dish as we can. Dear Lord. And after, and after that, <laughs> they're going to be very specific about the food. And when they talk about the wine, it's aged for months, yeah. not specific, rich and savory with pronounced ripe notes. <laughs> There's no information in the tasting note at all, but you yes. got to serve it with Taiwanese well, three-cup mushroom. And that's because that's all you need to know since you have that so often. Apparently so. Okay. Well, I, I will say this, Rick. The next time I order Taiwanese three-cup mushroom, I may very well see if this wine's on the list. Yes, yes. Just make sure it has all those clones. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is, uh, this mine is uh, a from a critic. I yeah. am very impressed with this great new release that shows some some what I think is outrageously good value. Some, some, yeah, some of some what, outrageously some. <laughs> good value. Uh, yeah, right. Apparently, <laughs> only half the bottle. This 100% Tempranillo <laughs> wine begins with toasty oak on the nose with prune and roasted dates. Ew. I found the minerality really nice as the wine shows a good tension and sense of place. Black fruits and just a touch of chocolate dominate the palate, ready to drink between 2020 and 2031. Okay, so can I just say something? Minerality. Everybody who ever uses the term minerality will always tell you that the one thing every wine that supposedly has minerality, and you know I don't believe in minerality, but the wines that are described with minerality always have one thing in common. They are not ripe. They are not big, ripe wines. They are austere and have a certain minerality. And this wine has prunes and roasted dates. Which are dates, dried fruits, which tend to be in really wine. Which means wines. this yeah. wine yeah. is overripe. If it smells like prunes, it's overripe. And yet, yeah. it has minerality that is really nice. Yes. Uh, well, that's that's the lovely thing about this. Uh, other than it being an outrageously good value, you really some, have, no, you have no idea what this some is. Some outrageously yes. good yes. value. Yes. So I think um, it's just the top half of the I, bottle. I also like that just a touch of chocolate dominates the powder. <laughs> so, yeah. boy, well, I hate and, to see if it had a whole lot of chocolate. It and, would, of course, my favorite, black fruits. Yes, yes. Black fruits. Yes, because there's... Only one of those. Because could be dates, could be figs, could be blackberries. Could be olives. Could be blueberries. Olives are technically Black fruits. Fruit. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. 
Well, there you go. That's uh, that's why those tasty notes aren't selling you any wine there out there, Thomas. Okay. Uh, we, uh, But, you know, we've been a little grumpy lately. Always. I think it's time. When it comes for, to wine writing, always. I think it's time for a little stuff we love, Paul. Uh. I love you so. Well, since we've been talking summer, we have some seasonally related love. Well, yeah. For one thing, I love rosé. Me too. We were talking about that earlier as a summer wine. Um, you know, and it's sort of funny because for years, nobody who was serious about wine would drink rosé because it was associated with cheap, fruity, slightly sweet. Wait a minute. That's what most people like to drink. <laughs> um, and all the serious wine people would tell you that rosé is really awful stuff. You should never drink rosé. And then somewhere, rosé became so unpopular that all the wine geeks said, you know what? It's so unpopular. Yeah. I'll, I'll. We can talk about it being good. Well, the tide has turned, and now everybody's drinking rosé, and it's really popular. So I expect at any moment to have our leading wine critics start telling us what's wrong with rosé. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for that, too. And what's I'm sort of have a little bit stunning is that we've been through this now for maybe three or four years. and, and oh, Longer than that, uh, even. But, I mean, it's really to the, the, the level of the popular consumer just drinking tons. And, yes. And uh, we haven't quite heard that yet. Not yet. Um, just wait. Yeah, maybe. Just wait. You know, I, I was at a happy hour uh, not so long ago, and um, it's a, a bar in uh, Midtown. In, in, in Sac- fact, about 45 minutes ago. Was well. It? No, it was, it was another day. <laughs> sometimes I sometimes I don't drink. Sometimes all day. you come to the studio Some, sober. Sometimes I wait till after we leave. <laughs> uh, but uh, and it was this really mixed crowd. You know, a couple of people in you know suits and ties. Some people dressed casually. There's a couple of construction guys. And what I loved about it was everybody, including the guys who still had their hats on, uh, the art hats, were drinking rosé. Very nice. And it was. It was. Uh, yeah. We can all agree were there, on something. Were there Honda hats? Were they color coordinated? Were they all yellow? Or um, they had a they had a mix. I'm they had a mix. Sure, I'm, not okay. sure I'm not sure it's relevant to the hard hat, but <laughs> yes. Anyways, uh, so enjoy it. It is rosé is is a lovely thing. It's a it's um, great with food. It's great with summer. It's just great. Yep. And can serve it nice and cold, and it's very refreshing, and it works with a huge range of foods, and what's not to like? And the construction workers won't make fun of you. The only problem with it is people are beginning to think it's good. So we'll See, have— yeah. Price is going to go up, and— yeah, And people are going to start complaining about how it's not <laughs> That's really right. Well, not for now, so enjoy it while we can. Yeah. All right. Well, a couple more questions. Good. Uh, don't forget, there's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all places you can ask us at Paul, Rick and Paul Wine. And also there is our website, rickandpaulwine.com. Yep. Uh, this is from Caesar in Reno. So what are the rules for carrying an open bottle of wine in a car? Does it matter if I don't have a trunk? So this is a state. By state yes, and ruling. I, and I looked up Nevada, and it's very much like California. Yeah. And so the basic rules are no open containers in a car. Now, having said that, um, if you are sober and can pass a breathalyzer test, and you've got a bottle that's got a cork in it, and it's stuck somewhere in your luggage in your trunk, chances are that's not going to be an issue. Yeah. You're actually okay in your trunk. It is. You're, yeah. you, you're now, fine. The, if you don't have a trunk... It gets more complicated. They say put it as far away as possible from the driver. Right. What you want to avoid doing in any scenario is giving the impression to the arresting officer that that bottle is within reach and you're taking a shot off it as you drive down the street because that will get you in jail every time. the bigger the car you have and without a trunk, the better shot you have at this. If you've got the little bitty... 
two-person zip card things, um, you maybe don't want to carry that bottle around. Well, um, just one, finish it before you get in the one, car. No, uh, do not do that. <laughs> do not do that. I have to say on the record. One of the things I learned by having a very brilliant daughter go to law school at Tulane, which, as you may know, is in oh, yeah, New where, where Orleans. Oh, yeah, they have an open. Uh, well, you can't, no, it's, you, can't, you can't take an open beverage container in your car, but you, if when they serve you a a to-go margarita at the drive-through window right. in New Orleans as long as the straw has that little paper the end of the str- paper sleeve on the top ah. of the straw in New Orleans that is considered a closed container okay good well, to know huh one of the many reasons we love New Orleans and one of the many reasons it's nice to have a daughter who goes to school yes. law school well, in New Orleans I, you're going to need a good lawyer one of these days Paul anyway, so <laughs> we already this is, do this is another good thing <laughs> right. our next one is from Colette in San Luis Obispo she says how are Sauvignon Blanc and Fumé Blanc different well Fumé Blanc has far fewer letters uh, you're right and you know, and right, and S's can sound bad on the radio. Well, and and Fumé Blanc always comes first in any sort of alphabetical listing. True. Yeah. That's so about, that's about it, really. So that's about it. Yeah. There, there was at one point sort of a difference. There was kind of a difference, which was the theory was that Sauvignon Blanc uh, usually didn't see much oak, was bottled in a Bordeaux bottle, which is the higher shouldered bottle. Like uh, Cabernet bottles. Like yeah. Cabernet bottles or Zinfandel bottles. And the Fumé Blanc might have been aged in oak and came in a burgundy or a Chardonnay-shaped bottle. And that may have been true for a few producers 25 years ago, but these days yeah. it really varies from place to place. And there's no... There's no rule. There's no, no rule. rule. Yeah, you know, the Fumé Blanc is actually a made-up name. Yes. Our friend Robert Mondavi in the 60s, uh, he combined yep. a couple of things and twisted a couple of things. And so yep. um, it is— uh, I should be pointing out, he didn't combine and switch in the, the bottle the wine. He just changed well, the he, name. He combined oak, actually, which was a little unusual at the time. Yeah. So he put it some But oak he was in. making Sauvignon Blanc. He thought it was a very good wine and it wasn't selling. Right. So he decided people are buying Chardonnay like gangbusters. Let me make a Sauvignon Blanc that's slightly more like Chardonnay. Put it in a Chardonnay bottle. Put it in a barrel like Chardonnay. And all of a sudden, he had one of the hottest selling white wines and, in America. And by the way, to, as his test market was a PTA meeting in Lodi. Was it really? Yes, it was. Were you there or were yes. you one of the children no, uh, at that point yes, in the 60s? No, I, I, was, uh, I was teaching back then and it was, <laughs> no. It was, uh, yeah, you, you were was, a student teacher in the I was watching all the moms grade. get sloshed while I had to stay sober. Yeah, but, um, and it, yeah, it used to, you know, if it, anything, maybe it means it's like less grassy herbal, but but not really because people cannot You cannot, people, you cannot people just, make a, yeah. yeah, cannot make any generalizations yes. anymore. But what it means is it's Sauvignon Blanc. Yep. That's basically what it means. Yep. Fumé Blanc is Sauvignon Fumé Blanc. is more fun to say, I think. Well, I'm, I think it's time for us to Fumé out of here. <laughs> so that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick Paul. Oh. Our producer is the very patient Anthony Van Hook. Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jerry Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for this studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup, Paul. Mm-hmm. And Recommended. Don't, don't by forget, the way. look for us uh, or ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's summertime. It's a great season for wine. So is winter and fall and spring. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. <laughs> and remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends or with us, especially us. <laughs> <laughs>